Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part one of the Gospel of John, chapter eight. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We are discussing John chapter 8 tonight. We are still in the Feast of Tabernacles. And as you remember, they tabernacled around the true presence of God in the desert. And this feast was so glorious at the time of Jesus. They said, the rabbi said, he who has not witnessed the rejoicings of the water drying has throughout his whole life witnessed no real rejoicing. The priest would go down to the pool of Siloam, which we will study next week, and they would draw water joyfully from the springs of salvation, as Isaiah had said. And there was a great transformation. The temple was light. They lit the huge candelabras with gallons and gallons of oil for the eight-day festival. And the young priests would crawl up with jugs of oil on their back and replenish them every day. They'd never go out. It was endless day that last night was just an amazing feast. Not a court in all Jerusalem that was not illuminated from the light of the temple. The women could even pick wheat by this light. At three in the morning, they could be picking wheat. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, The pious and distinguished priests were doing fire torches and just the joy. It was called the, the season of our rejoicing. He who had not seen Jerusalem in its beauty has not seen a beautiful great city in his whole life. He who has not seen the second temple has not seen a handsome building in his whole life. Now, last week I alluded to, I had a hunch that Jesus might be born on the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you remember me saying that? Why did I say that? I spent hours and hours and hours this week investigating this. The Bible does not tell us the day that Jesus was born. But we know that there were shepherds in the field. Because the heavens opened and these angels came and and they were singing glory to God in the highest. And the shepherds were so afraid. And I wondered, did sheep graze in the winter on December 25th in Israel? Because it does snow there. Now, have you heard that argument before? That could it really be December 25th? Have you heard that? Well, when it comes around Christmas time, then you'll see shows like National Geographic and the History Channel doing all these things about, you know, questioning everything. But what we do know from the Bible is that Zechariah and Elizabeth were barren. And Zechariah belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. That's the clue. Abijah, Abijah, Abijah. You read right over it, didn't you? Well, in 1 Chronicles 24, David organized priestly divisions according to their appointed duties of service. And he made 24 priestly divisions. And Abijah was number eight. And so we can look up in the Jewish history books and see what week... Abijah served at the temple because each priestly division had to serve twice a year. And Abijah was number eight. And the eighth course of Abijah would have been in the third month of the Jewish calendar called Sivan. And guess what? Zechariah was muted in that encounter with that angel and he must have ran home to tell Elizabeth all about it but he couldn't speak so they must have had to do the marital embrace you know what I mean because I mean and guess what guess who was conceived so we can figure out the conception of John the Baptist right which is really exciting because he must have been conceived in that month 
the third month, Savan. And if he was conceived then, then we know pregnancy is nine months, 40 weeks, and we can, he would have been born in the month of Nisan. You know what happens in Nisan? Nisan is the month of Passover. And you know what happens to this day at every Passover meal? The Jews set a place for Elijah. Because he has to come first. They know from the prophet, the last prophet that spoke Malachi said, Lo, before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, I will send back my prophet Elijah. So all the Jews are waiting for Elijah. He has to come first before Messiah. Then Messiah can come. But Jesus said with his own mouth, all the prophets and all the law prophesied until John the Baptist came. If you are willing to accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah. Oh, let anyone with ears listen. Elijah has come. You don't have to set a place for him anymore. We can also figure out then from Luke, Elizabeth was in seclusion for five months. She's a really old lady and she's pregnant now supernaturally. And then we're told that in the sixth month, the angel came in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel comes to Mary. So now we know something else that baby Jesus is six months younger than John, his kin, his cousin. So they're six months apart. So now if we know that John was conceived in the third Jewish month, then we can go six months forward and we know when Jesus was conceived. And guess when it was? Hanukkah. Oh, <laughs> that's a festival of light. Just like tabernacles is a festival of light. It's the rededication of the temple. It's a second type of Sukkot. It's a festival of light. Just like there were two Passovers. I don't know if you know this, but the Jews celebrated Passover. And just in case you missed Passover, if you were ill and couldn't travel, da, 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 if there were extending circumstances, you could go to the second Passover a month later. Okay? That's kind of what Tabernacles and Hanukkah is. If you miss Feast of Tabernacles, catch Hanukkah. Because it's also a feast of light and it's a feast of dedication. Now back... Going back to Daniel 2, you're going to put your seatbelts on and stick with me here. We know the silver chest was Persia, and they were ruling. And we saw that last time. That's where I stopped. The temple, the King Cyrus of Persia let the Jews return after the Babylonian exile, after he, he had them for 70 years. Then he said, you can go back and rebuild the temple, Nehemiah and Ezra, remember? After him came the Greeks. And Daniel's prophecy is true right on the money. The Greeks came around 330 B.C. under Alexander the Great, and he died young, and Seleucius I, Nictor, takes the kingdom and divides it into four parts, the kingdom of Greece. One of the four quadrants is called the Seleucid Empire. In 167, 167 years before the birth of Christ, the Seleucid king, his name was Antiochus IV Epiphanes, he attacks Jerusalem the holy city, the temple of God. It's in 2 Maccabees 5. Now, if you're Protestant, you don't have Maccabees in your Bible. They removed it. It's part of the Apocryphon. It's a very extremely important book for history, right at the time before Christ. Here's what happened. When the news of what happened reached the king, Antiochus, he took it, the Greek king, he took it to mean that Judah was in revolt. He was raging inwardly. So he left Egypt and he took Jerusalem, the city, by storm. He commanded his soldiers to cut down relentlessly everyone they met and to kill those who went into their houses. There was a massacre of young and old, destruction of boys, women, children, slaughter of young girls and infants. Within the total of three days, 80,000 Jews were destroyed. 40,000 hand-to-hand fighting and as many, another 40,000 sold into slavery as were killed. So, the Seleucid king, the Greek king, Antiochus, does a huge massacre. Young, old, women, children, virgins, infants. 80,000 Jews killed. And 
He forces the Jews. He wants to Hellenize the temple. He forces them to abandon their religious beliefs and adopt Greek culture. In fact, he puts a statue of Zeus in the temple of Almighty God and makes them abandon their customs. And he dedicates this temple to Zeus, the temple of God. He profanes it. And he says he himself is a manifestation of Zeus. In fact, Epiphanes means God manifest. So he says, I am God manifest. He makes coins with his image, the image of him looking like Zeus. He has Nike in his hand. He says, King Antiochus, God manifest will bear victory over the Jews. He desecrates the temple. He sacrifices pigs on the altar of God's holy temple. He dedicates the temple to the worship of Zeus and kills many Jews. Jewish men couldn't keep the Sabbath. They couldn't celebrate the traditional feast. It was dangerous to even admit being Jewish. Some would go hide in caves to practice Shabbat and to worship God on the Sabbath, but anyone that was turned in was burned to death. Women, Jewish women, were arrested if they had their baby, boy baby, circumcised on the eighth day to go into covenant of Abraham. They would be publicly paraded around the city of Jerusalem with babies hanging at their breast, and then they were thrown off the top of the city wall. These are true stories. They're in the book of Maccabees. One of my favorite to Maccabees 7 tells of the martyrdom of a mother and her seven sons, one after the next, after the next, after the next. It's amazing, her courage. But in 165 BC, Judas Maccabees led a courageous revolt and drove the enemy out. Valent Jewish men fought with Judas Maccabee. They fought Antiochus Epiphanes. They liberated the Jerusalem temple and took it back, reclaimed, reclaimed the temple for God. They made all new sacred vessels. They brought but the lampstand back into the temple. They burnt incense on the altar. They lit the lights on the lampstand and the temple was illuminated, filled with the light of God and the Holy of Holies once again. And for eight days, they missed Sukkot, but for eight days, they celebrated this rededication of the altar. It's in 1 Maccabees 4 in the early morning on the 25th day of the ninth month, Kislev. It's the 148th year before Christ. They took back the temple the Gentiles had profaned. They fell on their faces. They worshiped God. They celebrated a rededication on the altar for eight days with great joy. It's a second Sukkot. And so Judas and his brothers and all the assembly of Israel determined that every year at the same time they would rededicate that altar and observe the joy that they had on that 25th day of Kislev. And they called it Hanukkah. Now, when they brought that lampstand, that menorah back in, they didn't have any holy oil. That was sacred holy oil it took eight days to make. And they didn't have any. They just had enough for one day. And it was an eight-day feast. And so there was a miracle. They prayed to God, and miraculously, the light burned for eight days. And it became called the Festival of Lights, or Hanukkah. And the Hebrew word is dedication. Okay, so we think that's the day Jesus was conceived. In that middle of the ninth month, Kislev. And we know that it was six months after John's conception that Mary conceived Jesus. Now Jesus is a new tree of life. What that menorah was, they called it a tree of life. It had beautiful almond blossoms engraved on it. It was tall. You know who the tree of life is in the garden, remember? He's hidden. We studied the bread of the presence last time. This is, this is who? He's the light of the world and he never goes out and he's full of the Holy Spirit, the oil, and he keeps burning an endless light. And tonight 
He's going to tell us that he's the light of the world. There it is in the Holy of Holies, that great tree of life, that great menorah, the light of the world that never goes out. Now, fast forward to Jesus' day, 165 years later, plus 33, and the temple again is being desecrated. He goes in John 2, he goes up to the temple and he is appalled and he takes a whip of cords in John's gospel because Jesus, the true light from true light, wanted to rededicate his father's house and zeal for his father's house consumed him because he's that tree of life, he's the light of the world, he belongs in the Holy of Holies and they're desecrating it. He is the temple and he was conceived quite possibly on this feast day, the feast of light or the rededication of God's holy temple that lampstand, that ever-burning lampstand. Now, John says this in Revelation, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. Remember that? The son of man, the ancient of days, eternal light, seven eyes, seven lamps, endless oil. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. His right hand had seven stars, and from his mouth came what? A sharp two-edged sword, the word of God. It cuts both ways. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. And he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid, John. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys to Hades and the keys of death. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's got the keys, the keys to God's kingdom. It's Jesus. Now, if Jesus was conceived at Hanukkah, then we can go 40 weeks or nine months. He would have been born tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, if this is correct, this Jewish dating, this Jewish calendar. Was he born on the Feast of Tabernacles? I ask you good, holy Jewish people. (laughs) The Hebrew word for stable is tabernacle. He was born in a tabernacle, in a booth. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. There were 70 bulls at this feast because it was a feast for all the nations. This light of the world had come for all the nations. This was a feast of light. This star, this light from nowhere, kings from other nations were following to see this baby king. He was true light from true light when a light shone through the glass in a virgin birth and didn't break the glass. And her virginity was left intact by this supernatural light-filled birth. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial of one being with the Father. John's all about that. The Father and Jesus are one, one, one. And today Jesus speaks to them and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And remember the birth of Jesus. There was no room at the end. They couldn't find lodging. Why? Because it's the Feast of Tabernacles and all the nations are there. And there's no more room. All the lodging is gone. There's no room at the end. It's an international festival to this day. 70 bulls. There's no vacancy. Everybody's there. Now, all the synoptic gospel writers tell us about the transfiguration. John does not. And guess what? John was there. He was an eyewitness to the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were there. Now, the transfiguration is another feast of great, great light. He was so bright, brighter than any fuller's cloth could make him. He was bright. Now, 
Was Jesus born on tabernacles? Because if he was, I think the transfiguration was his 33rd birthday. And why do I think that? Because Peter said, could we build booths for you? Could we build tabernacles? Right? He says it in Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Luke's, and Mark says it too. Let's make three tabernacles. I think it's a feast of booths. This is a birthday party on top of Mount Tabor. Was Jesus born on the Feast of Tabernacles? Conceived on Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, a rededication of God's temple, a new tree of life filled with miraculous Holy Spirit oil, an eternal king anointed with oil by the Holy Spirit, and the word became flesh and tabernacled with us nine months later on the Feast of Tabernacles, 70 bulls, 70 nations, seven months, seven times. They go around the temple on the seventh day of the feast, 777, new covenant perfection, a promised new temple with living water flowing from the sanctuary. Ezekiel 40, he's the source of living water. He is the water libation. He said, I am the living water. Last week, and the light ceremony today, he's endless light. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. I was so excited. (laughs) I'm like, Steve, you won't believe what I figured out. I was so excited until I remembered I'm not Jewish. This isn't my calendar. This doesn't work for me. I'm Catholic. This is not what the Catholic Church says. They put Christmas on December 25. What's wrong with them? So Catholics put it on December 25. It's in the 10th month of Tibet. The Jewish 10th month is when the Catholic Church places Christmas. There's no Jewish holidays even in that month. But I figured out that December is the 12th month on the Gregorian calendar, our calendar. But guess what it means in Latin, literally? Tenth month. Hmm, that's interesting. Hmm, okay, so the Catholic Church dates Christmas on the 10th month. But back to the question, did sheep graze in the winter in the 10th month on December 25th? I don't know. Ah, then I started reading Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, Spirit of the Liturgy, pages 105 to 109, and it had all the answers, the dating of Christmas. And this will be right from him. He's a fantastic German scholar, Bible scholar. Tertullian said this. He was a very prolific early Christian author from Carthage in Africa, and his early writings assume something, a well-known tradition that Jesus died on the cross March 25th. They don't give us a year, but March 25th, March 25th, March 25th, March 25th, that's all they cared about, the day of the cross, the day of the cross, the day of the cross. They don't care about Christmas. March 25th. They didn't care about Christmas. They only cared about the day of the cross, the day of the cross, March 25th. March 25th, the day Jesus Christ died on the cross. So in Gaul, right up to the 6th century, the first 500 years of Christianity, March 25th was the immovable date for Easter. Whether it was a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Friday, it wasn't Easter Sunday all the time. It was always March 25th, the first 500 years, March 25th, the day of the cross. Isn't that interesting? And then, written in AD 243 and also emanating out of Africa, we find that March 25th is the day interpreted as the day that the world was created. In connection with that, Ratzinger says, we find a very peculiar dating for the birth of Christ. Okay, It's the day of the cross, and it's the day of 
creation. When God created in Genesis 1, the sun was created on the fourth day. So if you take March 25 plus four days, it's March 28th. This, therefore, should be regarded as the day of Christ's birth, as the rising of the true sun of history. True sun, S-U-N, the light of the world. The idea was altered during the third century so that the day of Christ's death and the day of Christ's conception were regarded as identical. March 25, both the Annunciation by the angel of the Lord's conception by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin and the day of the cross. Stay with me. The feast of Christ's birth was placed December 25th, nine months after March 25th, developed in the West in the third century. Now, so here's the Catholic dates proposed. Conception, March 25th, death of the cross, March 25th, date of birth of Christ, December 25th. The decisive factor, says Ratzinger, was the connection of the creation and the cross, of the creation of the world and Christ's conception in the light of the hour of Jesus on the cross. Those dates brought the entire cosmos into the picture, not just the Jewish faith, but the entire cosmos. This is a universal savior. The cosmos was now thought of as the pre-annunciation of Christ, the firstborn of creation. Take that in a minute. The cosmos was now thought of as the pre-annunciation of Jesus Christ, the firstborn of all creation. It is he of whom creation speaks, and it is by him that the mute message is deciphered. And that's why the Christmas hymn in the early days of the church was always, the heavens are telling the glory of God, the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth his speech, night to night declares knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out to all the earth, to the ends of the world. This is a cosmic message of salvation. The Jewish calendar is fine. Jesus was Jewish. Salvation came from the Jews, but it's more than just for the Jews. It's for the entire cosmos. The church dates it theologically, a cosmic theology. In heaven, she has set a tent for the sun, S-U-N, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy. Nothing is hid from the heat of this sun. The cosmos finds its true meaning in the firstborn of all creation who has now entered history. The light had come into the world. The cosmos finds its true meaning in the firstborn of all creation who has now entered into our human history through the incarnation. It's cosmic. From him comes the assurance that the adventure of creation of a world with its own free existence, distance from God, does not end up in absurdity and tragedy, but throughout all its calamities and upheavals remains something positive. We have hope because there's a Savior. God's blessing on the seventh day is truly and definitively confirmed. The fact that the dates of the Lord's conception and birth originally had a cosmic significance means that Christians can take on the challenge of the sun cult, which every culture had a cult of the sun, and incorporate it positively into the theology of the Christmas feast. So some of the early fathers, like Jerome, says, even creation approves our preaching. The universe itself bears witness to the truth of our words. Up to the day, the dark days increase. But from this day, the darkness decreases. When Christ, the light of the world, comes into the world, the darkness is shattered. The light advances while the night retreats. 
Augustine said, brethren, on his Christmas sermon, let us rejoice, the heathen too, still make merry, for on this day we're consecrated. It's consecrated for us, not the visible sun, but the sun's invisible creator. This day, Christmas day. So between Easter and Christmas comes the Catholic feast of the forerunner, John the Baptist, on June 24th, right at the time of the summer solstice. Hang in there. The summer solstice is the longest daylight of the entire year. And that's John's feast day. Why? What happens after that? Less light, less light, less light, less light, less light. The link between the dates can now be seen as a liturgical and cosmic expression of the Baptist words, he, may Christ increase, may the light increase while my light decreases. Isn't that cool? That's cool. The birthday of John the Baptist takes place on a date when the days begin to shorten, just as the birthday of Jesus Christ takes place in the winter solstice, when the days get longer because the light of the world is brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. The winter solstice is when we celebrate Christmas. It's always that week in December. John can decrease, John's days get shorter, so Christ can increase, Jesus Christ's days get longer, true light had entered the world, light of light. And it's amazing because the heavens know, the heavens are telling the glory of God, they can figure this out with computer programs from now till whatever year you want. John himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world, Jesus Christ. And tonight he says, I am the light of the world. If you walk in me, you'll never walk in darkness. So the sunlight of John's days gets shorter. The sunlight of Jesus Christ gets lighter and longer. Now, the Jews claim that, oh, Adam knew that way back. Because here's what Adam said. This is in a Jewish writing. When primitive Adam saw the day getting gradually shorter, he said, woe is me. Perhaps because I have sinned, the world around me now is being darkened and returning to its state of chaos and confusion. This is the kind of death to which I have been sentenced from heaven. Adam noticed the days were getting shorter. He noticed, he noticed, he noticed. The Jews say that the festival of Hanukkah started out as a cosmic universal feast established by Adam. He knew the eight-day periods, the solstices. And Jesus, the new Adam, is the light of the world, the light of the cosmos. He's the light of the world. Paul says the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. His finest hour is March 25th, 3 p.m., the day of the cross, when he said, it is finished. The hour's over. He had done the Father's work perfectly, and he gave over his spirit. So, Hanukkah conceived... Tabernacles born, Jesus Christ. Salvation is from the Jews. Jesus is the fulfillment of every Jewish feast day. But Jesus came for more than the Jews. That was part one of the Gospel of John, chapter eight, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.